0: I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I was born in Syria. I was
1: born in Hamburg, Germany. I
0: was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee
1: camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala.
2: I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand, refugee. I was born in Mumbai. I was born in Viengchan, Laos. I was born
0: in England. I was born in Costa Rica.
1: Welcome to Many Roads to Here. Bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Jaith Sahib fled Iraq as the United States prepared to invade his country. Instead of finishing high school, he left home on a harrowing journey across the globe in search of safety and a life away from conflict. It's been years now since Jaith has felt the confrontation of war in his daily life, but an unexpected incident and in the relative comfort of the city he now calls home brings a new perspective on what it means to be a victim of war. A warning for sensitive listeners that this episode contains mention of war, violence, and suicide. Natalia Lopez has the story.
2: I born in uh, the capital of Iraq, Baghdad. Baghdad is really this big city and rich history. I love my city. I love it. I have some, so many memories. Good memories and bad memories. But in, in general, I, I love my city. I remember uh, the house where we, I grew up, uh, we have like big yard around it. Once a week, me and my sister, my brother, we go and help my dad in the gardening. We do have a couple date trees. So we used to climb the trees and we could like the dates uh, from the trees, you know. So it's, it's like what I said, this warm culture. Um, life is easy there.
0: In 2002, Jaith's peaceful home life was interrupted when tensions between America and Iraq began to skyrocket when the U.S. accused Iraq of allegedly stockpiling weapons of mass destruction. This tension would eventually boil over into the invasion of Iraq by U.S. forces a year later. At 19 years old, Jaith started to see and feel signs of this impending war in his everyday life. He was soon called to join the growing national army.
2: You can see all the Iraqi armies everywhere, Iraqi air forces preparing. They start to teach us as a high schoolers. They take us to places where we can shoot guns and teach us how to practice weapons. So we know something is is happening, everybody talking about it. It's the war, when war is happening, it doesn't come in one day. So it's preparing for both sides. It was Iraqi army, Iraqi people was ready for the war. And at the same time, we know from the news, American uh, soldier they are getting close with all the air forces. And so it depends what the news that time. And also we know is the war is coming. I, as a person, I don't believe carrying weapons and all about killing people. And I really honestly, I don't want to in charge with that. I grew up, uh, especially for me, I don't believe war does help or killing because, you know, when you're in charge with the war, if you kill or you get killed. And I say, you know what, I really don't want to. So I will be in trouble, my family will be in trouble. Iraqi police, they can come and find me, put me in jail for I don't know how long because I didn't defense my country.
0: Fearful of what could happen if he chose to not join the war effort, Jaith made the difficult decision to leave Iraq. He had no idea how he would survive in another country but was determined to escape the looming war and start a new, peaceful life.
2: We took, a, 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 like, they have buses, big buses between, like, from Baghdad to Syria. I stayed there for a couple days, and then from Syria I went to Lebanon. We have family members live in Lebanon, in Beirut, and then they told me, you know, you can come, uh, you know, you can work, hopefully you can finish your uh, school there, yeah. And then after I get there, uh, I start askable people to have a, a room. I don't like that that's a mechanic of for the apartment, so it was a, a house with five guys. And then after a couple of days, I was looking for a job. And then I found a, a cake factory that you can make dessert and cake. And so that time when I went and I asked them for a job, they told me, do you have any experience with, uh, you know, cake and sweet? I mean, you well, know, really, I don't have much, but I'm very fast. I can learn very fast. And they told me, you know what? We have a job for you. Just go ahead and we can crack eggs. So this is my first job in Lebanon. You were just cracking eggs, like every day, you know like seven, nine bucket of eggs. After a while, I start crack eggs with one hand and I start to, you know, I do with two hands. <laughs> it was really, I become an expert. <laughs> People there, they used to be, go, like, you know, after work, you know, start making a friend there, you know, Jade, go do this, let's go, you know, go to the places, have fun. That time I was just like from work really to home and just like, this is my life uh, in Lebanon. And watching the news daily, 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 basic, you know, watching the news, you know. The technology that time, it was not like now, you know, that time, like like Facebook, Instagram, all this kind of media to keep in touch with family. That time, the only way, you know, by phone, pay money and call your family, you know, this is the only way to keep in touch with them. Told them, you know, I I left my country, I left my family, you know, I am here and now. I'm thankful I'm safe this place, but always, always... 24 hours, I'm thinking about my family.
0: Jave made it a habit to check in with his family regularly. But one day, he suddenly lost all contact with them. His many calls left unanswered. Concerned after three months of not hearing from any member of his family, he decided to go back to Iraq and try to find them.
2: It takes me two days to get to Baghdad. So in the way when I'm driving to Baghdad, I saw like, it was crazy. It was I left, it was a beautiful city. When I came back, it was a broken city. Like you see, building damages, uh, broken uh, damages, like uh, armies, Iraqi armies, uh, cars uh, burned in the street. Like it was just like, it was a crazy, like actually going to war, but actually it just. I never saw something in my life like this, like actually saw all this heavy machines, uh, uh, d- building damages, smoke, like just like it was an uncomfortable situation. So when I went back, I went there and I saw my brother, uh, he's outside the house, like closer. And then as soon as he saw me, he came around to me and hugged me and told me, Jay, you are back. Tell him, yes. Tell him, and then of course, you know, crying. How are you guys? Why didn't he hear from you for three months? So also, they are scared from the war. So they left the home where we grew up. They went to area like three hours far away from where we live. It's just like a farm area. Of course, see my family and I told them I was really so worried about you guys. And I'm glad to see you guys. So this where the story start again. So going back to my family, thankful my family, they are saved.
0: Jeth was thrilled to finally reunite with his family and decided to permanently return to Iraq, despite living conditions having turned extremely dangerous. Though he was able to go back home and even start his college classes, Jeth's return to normal life was shattered by the realities of war.
2: In the morning, you know, I just was driving to college And then I just saw big explosion and then noise. That's all what I remember. After three weeks, I found out I was in the hospital. I was in a coma for three weeks, 5% chance to live. For me, it feel like a dream. I can't talk. My eyes closed. They try to keep me alive, so they put me all these pipes in my nose, in my mouth, uh, flooding, just keep me, keep me alive. When I was in the hospital, my dad brought, uh, we call it this Imam. It's Imam, like a, a leader of the mosque. So he, he came and he started asking me a question when I was in the hospital, what did you see? Where you were you in the coma that time? I told him, honestly, I didn't see nothing. For me, you said three weeks in a coma. For me, it's, a one, it's one second. Like somebody slept and awake. And then he asked, asked me a question. Did he see something? You know? Did he saw like angels? He i really, I didn't see anything. For me, a three weeks in a coma. For me, It just one second. It takes me two months to start how to, like kind of a little bit walking, like he was, like, like what I said, the doctor told my family, I have five chance percent to live. After the hospital, they take me back home and I was very depressed. I don't want to see a friend. I don't want to see people just in my room, unlock my room, I don't want to eat. And that time even really, I was wishing just to die because everything is scary to me. My friend want to come and visit, I refuse to see them. I feel scared to go outside because I feel I start hate my culture I start hate my religion. I start hate my land, because that time I didn't do anything wrong. Like I was escaped from the war, because I don't want to kill somebody or you know it's not about scared, but I don't want to live in an environment I'm not belong to. In 2006, I decided to leave Iraq. I flew to uh, Damascus. I stayed there in Damascus for almost five to six months. The same issue what I dealt with in 2002 when I was in Syria, I dealt with in 2006 because I can't find a job, I can't study. And even if I study, I have to go to private college and it's very expensive. After six months, five months when I was there in Syria, I decided to go to Kabul embassy in Damascus. So they have area in Damascus where most of the embassy for different countries. So I went with my passport, Iraqi passport. So I went to a Canadian embassy that time. I told my I'm from, from Iraq. Can I get a visa to go to Canada? They refuse. I went to United Arab Emirates embassy. They refused. I went to Egypt, Egyptian embassy, the same thing. So when I was working, I saw Indian embassy. And that time it was really like I'm walking from door to next door, you know, embassy, next to embassy. So I went to Indian embassy. That time I was not to just ask. So I went there and I asked them, I'm from Iraq. Are you guys willing to give me visa? As an Iraqi, they say, oh yeah, for sure. And then I swear, I give them my passport. After 45 minutes, they give me a visa to go to India. Long story short, I flew from Damascus airport to Bombay. And I took a taxi from the airport in Bombay to Gulaba Street, close to Taj Mahal Hotel. The first week, I was regret my decision. I say, why came to India? I don't have nobody. People don't speak Arabic here. I don't speak the language. Uh, trust me, I go to places to eat, I don't eat spicy food, so most of the food gets spicy. I try to explain to them, no spicy. Even, I even don't know what the word spicy mean. that time. Like, it's just hard because I don't speak the language.
0: With no community or connections, 23-year-old Jaith found himself alone in the city of Bombay with no clear path forward for his future. His only place of refuge was a small Middle Eastern cafe close to where he was living.
2: So they have a place there where Middle Eastern people go and smoke. Uh, it's like a, a coffee. Co- uh, then when People buy like this, serve tea and coffee and hookah. And I'm not really a big fan of hookah, but this is the only way I can go and meet people. So the first time I went there... I was sitting there, I'm kind of still, that time I was young and shy to ask people for, even for help. It was older guy sit next to me and he asked me, where you from? I told him, you know, I'm from Baghdad. I told him about my story. And he said, okay, so what are you doing in India? I told him, really, I really don't know. I went to Kabul embassy. Nobody wanted to give me visa. Just Indian, uh, Indian embassy give me visa to come to the country and I'm here. But really honestly, I don't know what I'm doing here. And then he t- and then I asked him, what, you know, you lived here? And he said, yeah, I lived here for a while. So he gave me his number. And he told me, okay, let's, we can meet uh, next time in the same place. So after a couple of days, I called him, we met. And he told me, I really want to help you. I told him, how you can help me here? He told me, you know what? I'm helping to send people from India, Afghanian people, Pakistanian people, uh, Whatever people want to go to Europe, I can send them to Europe. And then he told me, you know, Europe is better for you than India. You know that. I said, yeah, well, I heard about Europe, but i never been. But how? He didn't explain to me very much, but he told me this is his job, and he can send me to Europe. And then he asked me a question. Where do you want to go? Tell me where do you want to? I said, really, I don't know. I don't have nobody there. I really don't know. Just like... Send me whatever you think the best. Anyway, he gave me the ticket. He gave me the pass- passport. And it's yes, different language, but does have my picture to it. And it does have name, but I have to practice. The name was like weird name, like name, like it's not an Arabic name. But I have to act. I'm Estonian. I left Mumbai. I flew from Mumbai to France. Almost like a day and a half, I was just walking around. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I found a Moroccan guy, and I tell him I tell him, "Listen, are you Arabic? you' yeah, from Morocco." I tell him, "Can you help me? I'm from Iraq. I am here in France. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your advice. Can you help me?" And then he asked him, "Why are you are in France?" So France is not really. Uh, good for refugees you know with the, with the economy with everything so what do you recommend I him, no I think it's better to go to Germany so and I explained to him so how how can I do something? no like you can take a train and go to Germany I'm really I don't know even how to talk so he went and helped me and that time I had a little bit money and he had money to buy a ticket for me to go to Germany
0: After a week spent in Germany, Jaith leaves for the Netherlands in hopes of gaining refugee status there. When he arrives, he is placed into a refugee camp to await questioning by immigration officials.
2: So I stayed in the camps for almost three months. After three months, I was waiting for, they call it, the first interview. I go to to the refugees' uh, Uh, Office. So I went there and I told them the truth. I told them exactly what happened with me from Syria to India to France, Germany. So most of the people that time, Iraqi people, they get accepted. I get denied after one hour after I finish my interview. They said, you are uh, used to live in a safe place in India. So you have to go back to India. We can't accept your asylum. Refugees here. And it was for me, like, I feel this is like the end of the world for me that time. I feel like, wow, I did all this. Like, I was in India. I put myself in in danger. I went to France, Germany, after three months in Netherlands, and now they refuse me. That was like, really, for me, it was very hard. Like, what to do next? Like, I'm already tired. I'm already exhausted. I want to start my life. I want to finish my college. I want to start my own career. Like, all this, all, like, all my dreams have been, like, just gone.
0: Despite this setback, Jaith continued to fight his case for asylum by going back to Amsterdam and enlisting the help of local refugee organizations. Even after losing his case a month later and being forced to leave the country, Jaith stayed in contact with Tiffany, a volunteer from Portland, Oregon, that he befriended while working with the refugee organization. This relationship would stay strong, even through Jay's continued troubles with immigration policies.
2: We kept in touch, but it's not like really like like what like every three, two months once a while, like send email, like it just like emails, but it's not much. Like for example, she sent me email, I hope you're doing well, I'm praying for you. And I say thank you. So before that, I sent email, yeah, email to Tiffany and I told her, you know, I'm going to Switzerland, pray for me. I took the train and it was about like maybe seven hours in the train. So some like police officer came to the train and they start checking for people ID the control when they stabbed me was between the border between Germany and Switzerland so actually I am very close to Switzerland but I couldn't make it there I just found out from the interpreter it was the I was in Germany and because I don't have legal paper so they have to take me to jail it was very hard and very difficult to see as a Iraqi refugees, he's in jail, prison in Germany, and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just like searching for a better life.
0: After being jailed for two months, Jaith was sent back to the Netherlands, unsure of what to do next. During this time, he was reunited with Tiffany, who had also returned to Amsterdam and learned of Jaith's whereabouts through his brother.
2: And then when she came, it was really a moment when this first time when she saw him back to me, Jaith. I heard your brother called me and told me in a prison. And I was praying for you every day. We hang out together and we talk and we start to know each other more. And we become really good friends. And then we just felt like we, God brought us together. And this is the, the truth. Like God brought us together and her way out because we feel very strong connection. We get always excited when we see each other. And then after five months, Tiffany, I really like you, you know, and I really want to, can we engage? And she accepted. And then we stayed in Amsterdam together and after uh, she's working and I am there and then after we get engaged we decide to get married so part of the plan is we're supposed to get married and stay in amsterdam because she built relationship and friends with dutch people and i start learn more about dutch culture and start learning about more about my my english get improvement more and after we get married life is targeted a little bit difficult for her in Amsterdam, she, and she really wanted to go back to Portland, and so I have to come with her.
0: So, in 2010, Jaith made yet another international move, this time with his bride, to Portland, Oregon. Settling into the new city was difficult, but Jaith was able to bring his family to the U.S. and start building a more permanent life for himself. With the help of his family, Jaith started a successful food truck business and eventually opened his own restaurant with a new name.
2: I changed the name to Dar Salam. Salaam. The reason why I chose Dar Salam name is because it does have a beautiful meaning behind it. Dar Salam Salaam is very original name of the capital of Baghdad, where I come from. And my goal in the beginning... When I get the restaurant in northeast Alberta, I just don't want to serve Iraqi food, but actually I want to serve food and culture. And when you go to the restaurant, you will see all pictures, slideshow. I just want to educate people about Iraq and they can hear the another part of the country.
0: After years traversing the globe, Jay's Portland restaurant became a special monument to the life that he left behind in Iraq. While Jeth was still coming to terms with all that he had lost with the war, a sudden altercation at his restaurant in 2017 set him on a path to better understand what it means to be a victim of war.
2: It was busy night. It was, uh, I believe, a Friday night. I get a phone call from my sister, and she was crying. And she was, the only things I heard from her tell me, Jeth, we get attacked. We need help. I really didn't understand what attacked means. I drove to the restaurant very fast, just worried, just to see what's going on. And as soon as I get there, I see two police officers, they're talking to a guy. And I start to ask my sister, what's going on? Tell me, Jay, uh, it's two guys sitting in the restaurant. And they refused to order food for almost 45 minutes. And after we give them the food, one of them get upset. They say the food take too long. And he take a chair and he hit one from my employee in his head by a chair. And then uh, it was really so much drama involved. Most of the customers sitting at the restaurant left that night because they are scared. And then that time I didn't know who's this person and why he did that. And why he hit one of my umboloi chair, I was I was very confused that night. And then after a couple of days, we found out he's American war vet and he came to the restaurant and I'm not sure exactly if he has a flashback or something when he was in Iraq and that's was the reason why he hit when I and blew by a chair. And that time he was not really, most of the people work there at the restaurant that the Middle Eastern. So the guy hit of the chair, he looked like he has dark hair, dark, but actually he's not from Iraq, he's from Yemen. Most of the time that like he has his own attorney and I have my own attorney, uh, we couldn't, uh, I didn't see him in person and talk to him. I didn't have a chance. After eight months, I start uh, like learn more about this guy and what he did and why he went to Iraq and he lost a couple of friends in Iraq so I felt like really we have something common and then um, I just decided to forgive him and I went and I dropped off the case and then the soon I did the drop off the case uh, he went and apologized to the media and he said you know what he did what he did is wrong. And then uh, my attorney called me and said, Hey, Jay, Mr. Rodriguez, he's leaving uh, Oregon in two days. And then I told her, can I ask a question? Can I see him? I really want to talk to him. I was not really scared from him. I was actually looking forward to meet him. I get there early. The soon he came, I stand up and he saw me because we saw each other in pictures, but we didn't talk in person. So I give him hug and he gave me a hug. And when he said, the first question he asked me, why you want to see me? I told him, because I really, I want to see what kind of person you are. Tell me what's going on with your life. What's going on in Iraq? And he, I started asking a question, he started asking a question. He, I started, and then we found out we have so many common things, you know, about my car bomb, about the time when he was in Iraq, and it was so many, so much similarity, but we never met, but, and he can't stay, we can't continue to talk, because we have 15 minutes to talk, we can't stay longer. Uh, so, and then before he leave, he give me a hug, and he told me, uh, you are my brother. I'm your brother. And he took a selfie with me and we still keep in touch by text message. And, you know, sometimes, you know, so it just, at um, the end of the story, I believe we, all of us, women, and both of us victim. I am victim because I am growing up in a country where war doesn't stop. And also he's a victim because he's not, He's the one who made the decision to come to Iraq and fight there. It's like really we have something common. Because I almost died in combat in Iraq. And he was in Iraq and he lost a friend in Iraq. And I lost also friend and family there in Iraq because of the war. So I felt in the end of the time, I felt both of us, we are victims.
1: Many Roads to here is a production of The Immigrant Story. This episode was produced by Natalia Lopez and with post-production by Greg Palmer. The original interview was conducted by our illustrious executive producer, Sankar Raman, in March of 2022. This episode was made possible by a generous contribution from the Oregon Cultural Trust. And thank you to the St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Beaverton, Oregon, for their use of space to record this interview. For more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash manyroads. Listen live at prp.fm or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.